Good morning. Welcome to Jubilee Part 2. So what does Jubilee mean for RMC as we have paused uh, Mark chapter 13 for two weeks? Next week we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark. We wanted to take uh, these two weekends to rejoice in what God is doing in and through the church. A lot of times we don't share with you the God stories. Last week we focused on the community and this week we're going to be focusing upon the nations. So we hope that you're encouraged. Also, throughout this year when we have missions highlights, we want to come to you in the spirit of rejoicing, sharing with you what God uh, is doing. To remind you, what is Jubilee in the Old Testament? It comes from Leviticus chapter 25. And the children of Israel, every 50th year, would have one year off of work. Probably been thinking about that all week since we, we mentioned that. Also, all debts were forgiven, the prisons were emptied. If you had family property that you had sold, you'd receive it back. So you can anticipate the kind of celebration that there was amongst God's people on the year of Jubilee. So we want to rejoice this morning. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's going to be our primary focus verse. But before we get to Acts 1 8, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18 and 20. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Put a finger in Acts 1, verse 8. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Rocky Mountain Calvary, gathering us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for your heart for the nations your heart to see people from every tribe, tongue, language to come to know you. Lord, we thank you for how you're using our church throughout the world. We pray for the church as a whole, Lord, with a capital C, that we would have a heart for what is on your heart. So we invite you here, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Having a heart for the nations is not something that's always been on my radar. I would say for for a long time, I rejoiced in what God was doing in missions, but didn't see myself as part of God's plan to impact the nations. My heart has always been for our country, for our communities, for Colorado Springs, and to see outside of that was difficult for me. And you may be in the same place where you go, Man, I can really connect with local outreach. I can see the needs in our country. But I don't understand why our church would be invested in the nations. When there's such a great need in our own community, why would we invest time and resources and people and money to see people come to know Christ in the nations? And though I knew it in the Word, where it really entered into my heart was in 2006, I watched a a video documentary called Invisible Children. And it was about the kids in northern Uganda in the Gulu district that were being kidnapped by the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army. A man named Kuni, who is still alive, he's gone into Congo, no longer in the Ugandan region. And as he would kidnap these kids, a lot of times the first thing that he would have them do is is kill their, their parents. These kids had to flee the villages, come into Gulu, and would sleep in a parking garage to try to stay safe from from the LRA. And I don't know what it was about that particular video where it really hit my heart. You know, it allowed me to feel a little bit of of what the families and kids were feeling in, in that region. But it's pretty easy for me to push aside burden 
And then lo and behold, here comes a man by the name of Peter Hadiamana, and he walks in the front doors of Rocky Mountain Calvary, born and raised from Uganda. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not every day that somebody attends RMC born and raised from Uganda, right? Peter is very friendly, very loving, comes up to me, says, Eric, you got to come to Uganda. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes up the next week, Eric, you got to come, come to Uganda. Well, it's not really a good time for me to go to Uganda. Our kids were really little, really bu- busy time in our family. Is it ever a good time in you to go to Uganda? I mean, do you have time for a 24-hour flight each way, right? So I, I had all these reasons of why I didn't need to uh, go to y- Uganda. And then he gave me an invitation. He says, here's an opportunity to come uh, to Uganda with Compassion International. So we went. We went on this trip that was uh, hosted by Compassion International. And on that trip, we met a lot of pastors, Ugandan pastors in this northern district. The trauma that these pastors have been through, a lot of them had scars on their faces where they've been cut open by machetes and trying to minister to families. Can you imagine trying to minister to families that have gone through this kind of trauma? So we began to pray and pray that God would would open doors. And over time, we've been able to do a lot of short-term missions trips and then Kent and Becca moved to Gulu, uh, Uganda, and have started a school ministry to, to train pastors and future leaders. And we're getting to work in this area where God has burdened our heart. My last time to Uganda was probably about two and a half years ago. We were at Calvary Chapel Gulu uh, talking with uh, leaders and teaching. And it was a full morning of teaching. And then someone grabbed me and said, Eric, take a break. C- come outside. They've got some lunch that is prepared for you. And while I was waiting for my soup, they sat me down in a chair, and the ladies from the church had been preparing lunch for me and preparing tea for me. And the women in Uganda are the heroes of the society. A lot of the men are disconnected, not engaged in their families, don't, don't know the Lord. And these women, they work so, so hard walking miles many times uh, to get water. And I was so humbled by this cup of tea that they had brought me because it was filled with love. They're so appreciative that that I was there to to share and and to encourage. And it was the best cup of tea that I've ever had in my life. It was the best bowl of soup that I've ever had in my life. And I think we have a wrong view of missions many times. And, And honestly, it's an American view. The American view is we've got it all figured out and we're going to go help other people. Well, I got to let you know that believers in Uganda have far more to teach us than we have to teach them. And it's mutual. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is we get to go share with them and they share with us as well. I know many Ugandans that have a heart for America and the Ugandan church is now sending missionaries to America because they feel a sense of responsibility because we were the ones who introduced Christ to their country and largely as a culture we've turned away from the word of God we don't hold to the word of God so they're saying we need to send people we need to send missionaries to the United States of America so this morning as we go through a few scriptures I would pray that you would open up your heart to the nations To say, do I care about the nations? Do I believe what God says in his word about the nations? When you think of worship in heaven and worship period, do you only think of it in English? Do you picture every worship song around the throne room of God being sung in English? Because 
Around the throne room of God is every tribe, tongue, nation, every culture, every ethnic group that God has ever created. To be able to see the glory of that, the beauty of that. That this morning, churches are gathering all over the world, lifting up the name of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? So let's start in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus begins this great commission with saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Consider who is hearing this for the first time. It's the disciples who have witnessed the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is the risen Savior, bearing the wounds of the cross, and he declares to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's just conquered sin and death. Do you think they're looking at Jesus going, I'm not sure. I I don't know. That's a colossal statement there. I don't know if all authority really has been given to you. They're like, no doubt. There's no doubt here. All authority has been given to you. And from this position of victory and authority, Jesus then says, I want you, you 12, to go and make disciples of all nations. Imagine if Jesus would have looked at them and said, I want you to go and make disciples of all Jerusalem. Wow, that's overwhelming. There's a lot of hard hearts here. They just killed you. All right, I want you to go and make disciples of Judea and Samaria, all of Israel. Whoa, that's a whole, whole entire nation. But God says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. We have to go. We have to be willing to be intentional. We have to be willing to risk and take investment in the nations to see the nations reached. And then God's heart is that they would be baptized, that they'd be taught to be a disciple by observing all of God's commands. At the end, in verse 20, Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. So he doesn't give us this commission without his power, without the promise of his presence. Now let's jump over to Acts 1, verse 8. Once again, Jesus is giving this vision of the nations to the disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This commission is fulfilled through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem's right where they are. You're going to be a witness first, right here in Jerusalem. Judea is southern Israel. Samaria is central Israel, north of Jerusalem, south of the Sea of Galilee, and then to the ends of the earth. God is calling them to that. If I could captivate your imagination for just a moment, let's follow this through the book of Acts. How does God fulfill taking the gospel to the nations through the disciples. In chapter 2 is Pentecost. It was the Feast of Pentecost, one of the Jewish festivals. Jews are gathered from all over the world to come to Jerusalem. A prayer group in the upper room 
receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues and it tells us that there was fire upon their heads. A lot of confusion about Pentecost and speaking in tongues. And I'm not going to get into all the questions this morning, but a lot of times we miss the point of Pentecost. What was the purpose of Pentecost? What was the purpose of pouring out the Spirit? It was to be a witness to the nations, so the nations would know of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As this group is gathered, it starts to draw the attention of those who were there for Pentecost. And they say, are you guys drunk? What is this speaking in tongues that you are doing? And that gives Peter the opportunity to explain it. He says, no, we're not drunk. And he preaches the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, verse 40 of Acts chapter 2, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. The gospel never changes and the perverseness of culture never changes. This is some 2,000 years later and it fits for this morning, doesn't it? 2017, Super Bowl Sunday. Be saved from this perverse generation. God's message doesn't change. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to them. This 3,000 were Jews that were gathered from different parts of the world. It tells us that as they were speaking in tongues, they heard the wonderful works of God in their own language, meaning they didn't all speak the same, same language. God pouring out his spirit was a missional effort from day one. Isn't that exciting? Christ died, he rose again, he's saying, you guys are going to reach the nations. The first recording of a large group getting saved, it's a very diverse group that then would go back to where they're from, bringing the gospel. Sometimes with scripture, I like to just slow down and consider, what does this look like practically to baptize 3,000 people? That's a lot of baptisms. The church I grew up in, Southern Oregon, it's called Applegate Christian Fellowship. Our pastor is John Corson. They have an amphitheater where they would meet in the summer. has become a great outreach to that area, that community. A lot of unbelievers would come primarily just because of, of the amphitheater and the fun of taking in a, a service outside. And when I was a teenager, it would be every Sunday he would give the gospel at the end of service and 50, 100, sometimes 200 people would receive Christ as their Savior and get baptized that moment. Preach the gospel, be baptized, just like the model here in Acts chapter 2. So service would end, but you could stay and watch people be baptized. And it was hours. They had one baptismal tank at the bottom of the amphitheater baptismal pool. So one pastor could be in there at a time. Sometimes the pastor's backs would be sore from doing so many baptisms and they would rotate in and out of the baptismal pool. And that was 150, 200 people sometimes. Can you imagine 3,000? I mean, this would take days to fulfill this. God's heart to bring the nations to him. But does the church fulfill God's heart to go outside of Jerusalem? They had a difficult time getting out of their comfort zone. Turn with me to chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. The church primarily keeps the message in Jerusalem amongst the, the Jewish people. They don't take it to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth until Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 
Now Saul was consenting to his death. This is Saul who had become Paul. He's consenting to the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What got them out of Jerusalem? What got them to fulfill the Great Commission? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it was great persecution. They couldn't stay in Jerusalem any longer. As they scattered, then they took the gospel out to the nations. God's committed to his plan. God's committed to his mission. And he'll get us out of our comfort zone one way or the other. We'll go willingly, or he'll cause something that's uncomfortable many times in our lives to get us in a new setting, a new scenario, to take the gospel to people who need to hear it. What's very interesting, please follow this with me, is go to Acts chapter 11 and look at verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Love that sound of hearing your Bibles turn. That's great. Isn't that just even a better sound than hearing an iPad turn? I read, I read my devotions on my iPad, so I like that too. But it's, it's wonderful to hear the pages of a Bible turn. As they were scattering and taking the gospel, they only took the gospel to Jews. Verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So they're really getting out now. Getting out of Israel. Really spreading out the gospel. Preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Isn't that interesting? So they're being persecuted. They're forced out of Jerusalem, forced out of Israel. But as they went, they only took the gospel to Jews. We have to understand a little bit what's going on. The disciples are Jews. They're from Israel. They understand their culture, and they had a great prejudice as a people group against Gentiles, anybody who was non-Jewish, to the point where you wouldn't even sit down and have a meal with Gentiles. At this same moment in Acts 10, we find that Peter gets a dream from the Lord to go eat things that are unclean. He's really struggling with that. God, how could you ask me to have a bacon cheeseburger? You know, I can't rise, kill, and eat. The rest of us have been waiting for God to give us a vision to rise, kill, and eat, right? Peter's like, no, I can't do this. And it was all speaking of Peter being willing to take the gospel to a Gentile. He wakes up from his dream. Here comes a messenger from Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He's inviting you to his home. Peter, you need to go. Peter goes, shares the gospel. They get saved. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the church is confounded. Even though God has said, this is my plan all along, they're blown away. The Spirit of God living in Gentiles and now, in chapter 11, as they've gone out, they've only taken it to Jews until verse 20. But some of them were from Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they'd come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking it to Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So, it's not just me who struggles with having a heart for people outside of my culture, it was true for the early church as well. God had to grow them in this area. God had to challenge them 
to step out of their comfort zone to have a heart for the nations. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God is calling everybody to live internationally as a missionary because last week, like we talked, there's a great need here and God wants to use you where he has planted you. But that does mean he will call some of us to do that. And I believe he does call all of us as believers to enter into the great commission to have a heart to reach the nations. Do you know the nations are here in Colorado Springs as well? You don't have to leave Colorado Springs to reach someone that's from a different people group. Also, it takes supporters to have senders. So it takes people to support missionaries in order to have missionaries. And your role may be to support a a missionary. How do you do that? To pray for them. Man, the spiritual battle on the mission field's intense. It's difficult on families. It's tough to to raise kids on, on the mission field. You know how comforting it is to have someone that's engaged in prayer? To be emailing? Really taking those newsletters, following through with them? We've got missionary cards of the missionaries that we support. At RMC, we support 42 missionaries in 12 different countries. That comes from tithes and offerings. So from tithes and offerings, we take the first 13% and we dedicate it towards outreach, local and international. Grab one of those cards and email them. You know how awesome it would be to flood the inbox of our missionaries from this weekend? Say, hey, you know, we're praying for you. God's really began to give me a heart. You may never even go to, to that country, but, but you're praying for them. We have our missionaries that we support come back on furlough for a time of rest. And maybe you'd like to open up your home to a missionary while, while they're here. Jesus tells us if we receive someone who's doing his work, that we re- also share in their reward. Say, I, I can't move to Uganda. I can't move to Australia, but I can open up my home. Maybe you cut hair. You could offer to give him a haircut. Maybe you're a doctor and you could say, yeah, I could, I could see you and, and minister in that way. Maybe you're a tattoo artist and you want to bless him with a tattoo in Jesus' name. And they're going to carry that message out with their tattoo. Some of you are now really offended <laughs> by what I just said, right? But you have a skill set. Maybe you do taxes. You say, man, I'd like to bless some missionaries to do, do taxes, some of you maybe can go and visit missionaries. We have short-term missions trip. There's a table in the foyer right out the center doors afterwards if your heart's stirred to get involved in international missions in a greater way. Where I'd like to look at for next is Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. And then I'm going to bring up Dan Johnson, our missions pastor, and Sean Rafferty, who started a church in Chihuahua, Mexico, and interview them and let them share some of the jubilee stories of how God is working. Psalms 2 tells us that the nations are an inheritance for Christ. Psalms chapter 2, again, I think it's very applicable for what we're seeing today. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. If you took the news from this week, you could ask this question. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, 
Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from. So the nations come together with a heart against God. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. So God's not threatened by their opposition. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. So that speaks of God's judgment upon the nations, but then there's a shift. Yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Who's the king? Christ. The father speaking. He set the son as the king on the holy hill in Zion, on Mount Calvary, where Christ died for our sins. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Conversation between the father and the son. Today I've begotten you. You are my, my son. Speaking to Jesus, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them with a piece like a potter's vessel. Here's the instruction to the kings. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Again, back to verse 8. Ask of me, and I will give the nations of your inheritance. The nations are the inheritance of Christ. Of all of the things that Christ could want as an inheritance, what does he desire? The nations. Of all of the things the Father could give to the Son, what does he give? He gives the nations. Think of all the things that you might want to give to your children as an inheritance. And God's inheritance to the Son is the nation. So we get to participate in giving this inheritance to the Son. We get to participate in loving the nations. Seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior. So would you guys please welcome Dan and Sean. And we're going to interview them and ask them a few questions. So guys, why don't you come on up? This is Dan Johnson. He's from Minnesota, born and raised, lived here a long time in Colorado. He has the best goatee in the house. So <laughs> can we give it up for his goatee right there? This is Sean Rafferty. Uh, he was our missions pastor for a long time. And then him and his wife and their four daughters moved to Chihuahua, Mexico uh, eight years ago planted Calvary Chapel, uh, Chihuahua, and then he moved back uh, to Colorado Springs to come back on our pastoral staff two and a half years ago and passed off the church uh, to Rafa there in uh, Chihuahua. So, Sean, would you tell us uh, how the church is invested there in Chihuahua and kind of the things that have happened with the church plant and come out of uh, that work? Um, yeah, I think uh, in Chihuahua, I think... Uh, since I left, I, God has been really moving in, in the hearts and lives of, of the leadership down there. Um, in fact, I was just down there uh, two and a half weeks ago and uh, for the eighth anniversary of the church. And uh, I have to tell you, the church is, uh, is just really doing well. Uh, healthy and growing. 
young and old uh, are being discipled and, and really uh, taking their place in the body. In fact, there's just no more room in, in the facility that they're in. They're still looking for uh, a new facility, and that's something you could be praying for. We, we believe that God's going to grow uh, the church uh, uh, even more in the, in the process of uh, stepping out in, into a new building. So um, one of the things that I'd like to celebrate, though, uh, with the church is the men in the church are really rising up. And uh, they've been discipled uh, over the years, but we've, we're seeing them take their place inside the body. And, and in fact, in, in Mexico, it's not normal for uh, a church uh, to, to have men leading out. It's usually outnumbered by women in, in attendance and, and in leadership, but that's not the case in, inside Chihuahua. And so Chihuahua, uh, Calvary Chapel Chihuahua. So uh, God's really moving inside the men. In fact, while I was down there, uh, there was, uh, I had the privilege of, of leading eight more guys to the Lord and, uh, and seeing uh, more uh, work being done. So it was really exciting. To Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the Taramar Indians? When I first met Sean 17 years ago, uh, one of the first things that he shared with me was his heart for the, the Taramar Indians, and it's been a real passion of ours to, to see them reached. So can you share with us about our Lightshine community and the Taramara? Um, God put it on my heart uh, a number of years ago to uh, just for a people group uh, in particular. They were an unreached people group uh, at the time in, in 2000, in the year 2000, and and that's kind of when they came on my radar. Um, and in the process of going down there, part of what God put on my heart was to, uh, to start a program, a missions arm, uh, to, to reach them. And, uh, and now we have uh, an organization called Lightshine down there. And it ministers to, uh, uh, to 200, approximately 200 um, underprivileged kids uh, in two different communities, and, and primarily these kids are Taromara. They're not all Taromara. They're, some of them are Mastizos, but, um, but they are, uh, a majority of them are there. And, and, and we feed them twice a week, and we, we give them Bible curriculum, but most of all, uh, we give them love, and, and, and we show them uh, care that, that maybe they've never received inside their homes. In fact, um, I'd like to tell you about one particular uh, girl. Um, her name is Marisol. Her na- uh, she was nine years old when she came into uh, the Lightshine program. And uh, when, when she first came in, she, she was being abused uh, physically and sexually. Uh, her family uh, life was really, uh, really a dark place. Um, she was cutting herself, uh, and uh, she was real reserved, and, and she wasn't uh, very open to a lot of care, um, and her parents didn't want her to be a part of the program because it was Christian-based, and so I think they had an idea that, that maybe we would expose what was going on inside their home, uh, but we just began to love her and, and began to accept her, and uh, week after week as she came, uh, her life was transformed. And, uh, and today, uh, she's a, a beautiful young woman. Uh, she's now in leadership in Lightshine, uh, leading out and loving other kids. 
Um, she is uh, singing in, in the worship band at, at church, and uh, she is planning on going to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Ensenada in the fall. So a completely transformed life, uh, and, and you can see the joy and the life in her when you see her, and so it's awesome. Praise God. That's, that's really cool. And another thing is her, her parents, uh, her parents just got saved as well and, um, and are involved in the church and, and, and desiring to start a Bible study in their home. So that's, uh, so you see there's a, a whole family that's been changed by, by it. So it's really cool. I know a lot of you have invested in Lightshine uh, financially and prayerfully and sponsor kids. We've done Go 5K runs to raise money uh, for Lightshine to build them a building. That, that building is done. Uh, we want to share that with you, and they're using it, and it's a real blessing. Uh, and picture in your mind when we talk about this community, the Taramara don't have right to citizenship in Mexico, so they really are treated as a sec- second-class uh, citizen. There's a lot of prejudice against them, and they're segregated into these communities that are outside of Chihuahua. And it, it's dirty, it's dusty, it's poverty. And to be able to have a, a facility to minister to the community, to have the kids come to for their Light Shine program. If you get a chance to go, go. It's not far. Uh, you can drive. You can fly. You can talk to Dan Johnson about getting on a short-term missions trip. Uh, it, but it's, it's really exciting uh, what God uh, is doing uh, down there. So, Dan, would you share with us a little bit about Peru? It's one of our, our newer works of what God's currently doing in, in Peru. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting what we see the Lord doing um, in Peru. Um, a city of, called uh, Cusco, uh, built on the ruins of the uh, Incan Empire. Uh, we've got Darwin and Annie Torres there. They met in the mission field, planted a church in Costa Rica. Darwin's Peruvian, and uh, they, they really felt a burden. We've got to go home and plant a church. So in a city of about a half a million people, um, they're one of two churches uh, teaching verse by verse, Um, and it's amazing, and it's in their home church. Uh, We went and visited, and I was blown away to see the um, kind of the animistic and pagan traditions that um, have permeated even what they would call Christianity. Uh, They don't don't view Christ as risen from the dead. Well, that's a big difference. Um, no resurrection, no ascension. They carry them around in caskets uh, during celebrations. And so um, they need to know Christ is risen. So uh, Darwin and Annie, are, are, their church is growing. This is only a few months old. And it's, it's uh, growing. And the women's ministry is growing. The uh, children's ministry uh, reaching out to 250 uh, children in an area uh, near Cusco which is a secondary kind of a mission of theirs. So it's a focus country of ours, guys. And what that means is we really do invest in them um, spiritually and physically every way we can. We want to support them. And then we also take teams now. So this summer we're, we're taking a team. And I know some of you will come and ask, where can you sign up? We'll be launching that one pretty soon. But it's exciting to see that God is stirring hearts. We, when we went around asking people, where, where is salvation found? They had no answer. They had too many answers, actually. And um, people uh, have a reverence for God's word. And there's the foundation that we're building on right there. Thanks, Dan. 
Another focus country is Uganda. Uh, can you share with us uh, what God currently is doing in Uganda, how we're currently uh, invested in Uganda? Yeah, right now, um, it's, it's very, very exciting to see God is stirring hearts to go to Uganda into full-time missions to join Kent and Becca Nolly. Um, they went there really to, to answer the problem, which was biblical illiteracy. So you see the Holy Spirit moving in great ways, but it takes one-on-one discipleship to grow people. Um, and so they've taken pastors. Right now they have 22 pastors that they're putting through a three-year school, going verse by verse through the Bible. But God, um, as you know, he surprises us with new opportunities. So right now they're going to be taking on a clinic uh, to, uh, to help people and also taking on and doing a second school because teachers have have come from the states um, and they're going to start the school all over again and double at, at the rate they're going they're going to change that nation pretty quick so awesome can you share with us your uh, favorite god story that you personally have experienced in uganda yeah the uh, the spiritual climate in uganda you guys it's like America back in the glory days when bars were closing and revival was happening, you know, and we as pastors look to that day and say, Lord, bring it back, you know, bring back revival. That's what's happening in Uganda. Uh, people are having dreams and visions and, and coming to salvation. My, my one that I'll never forget was in 2015, we were uh, 22 of us, a team of 22 of us went out and we walked through this village with our Bibles and we were, we were going to evangelize and just share the gospel. And when we were kind of wrapping up and everyone was coming back together, a woman came and she was just trembling. She was just this little tiny woman. I feel like a giant in Uganda. She was just this tiny woman and trembling and broken. And she said uh, through a translator that that night before we showed up, she had had a dream that her, her village was surrounded by Bibles and that she needed to go find salvation. And that was her dream. And she wakes up and comes outside, and there's 22 of us walking around with Bibles. And it about, you know, made her faint to see that happen. So she came forward. We explained the gospel. We, I mean, we did not hold back uh, on the gospel. And... Um, she received Christ. She received salvation. And after praying to receive Christ, her demeanor changed. She stood up tall. She smiled, and she would look us eye to eye. And, you know, I didn't get to say this last night, but we've got people at Calvary Chapel Gulu who've been discipling her ever since and following up with her and getting her to church. So that's my definitely one of my favorite stories. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Sean, from your experience of living on the field for six years, working with missionaries for, for so long, uh, you know, what would you say to RMC of the best way that they could encourage our missionaries and maybe give a little bit of a picture of what some of our missionaries go through? Wow, that's a, that's a, a good question. Um, I think, to be honest, uh, the mission work is not an easy thing. Um, and it's, uh, it's hard when you're out there, um, all alone. Uh, it's actually kind of nice being home and, uh, being back, uh, here. Uh, it, it's, it, 
your life gets heated up uh, when you're on the mission field. And so everything that you know that is uh, character that God needs to refine in, in you as a person, that all gets uh, refined when you're on the mission field. And, uh, and so I encourage you to be praying for our missionaries, specifically for their marriages and for their families and for, um, for them to, to weather through those difficult times because uh, there's not a lot out there where you can just go and get a lot of support. And so uh, that is the, probably the, the greatest need um, in that. And, and just being praying, praying for diligence to, to, to get through um, the day-to-day I know there's exciting times on the mission field, but most of it's mundane. Most of it's just plowing hard works, and, um, and uh, it gets tiring. So, yeah. Man, never underestimate the power of prayer, the power of a, an email. You know, we live in a great, great generation. You know, not too long ago to contact a missionary, especially in a place like uh, Uganda, uh, good luck getting a hold of them, right? But you could get an email and reach out and have instant uh, communication of love and support. We're going to bring Kent back and Rafa to come and share with you this year, so you can look forward to that. Kent's going to teach in June, uh, so if you don't know Kent, you'll have an opportunity to meet him and hear more of the work that uh, is being done. He's one of my favorite Bible teachers, so you're going to love hearing him share. And then Pastor Rafa is going to come and share with the congregation in September. As we close, I want to challenge you with two things, and the first is this is do you see yourself as a part of God's plan to reach the nations? And would you pray about God giving you a heart for the nations? And then secondly, we're going to stand and sing the great I am. And as we sing the great I am together, try to imagine the throne room of God and picture the nations of the world gathered around the throne room of God. Picture the great I am being sung to the Lord in so many different languages, not just English. And that represents the glory of God. That represents the inheritance from the Father given to the Son. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. God loves the nations. He wants to put that love in our hearts as well. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're the great I am, that you have the power to save. We look at the world and we see chaos, poverty, despair. But God, you are bringing people to yourself. And we just ask that you would stir the body of Christ here and throughout the world to reach out. And in this time, in this generation, many would come to know you. For for a moment, we imagine what your throne room is like. We imagine what it's going to be there to be around the throne with the nation singing to you. So we love you. We lift our voices to you. In Jesus' name, amen.